Hello and welcome. We are Restoration Church in beautiful Prescott, Arizona. Thank you for joining us. My name is Nate Huss and I am stoked you are tuning in to our teaching of the week. If you are new, so glad you found us. If you haven't already and would like to learn a little bit more about us, jump over to restorationaz.org. All right, let's grab our Bibles and dive into this week's teaching. My name is Nate Huss. I've been one of the team members here for about four and a half years, which is pretty cool. We moved from Phoenix, Arizona, up here, my wife, and we've got three kiddos and one in the oven. So we're, uh, we drank the water. <laughs> Everyone's getting pregnant, and we thought, why not us? Our bulletproof family planning system didn't work, and uh, we're excited to welcome number four in July. So, um, yeah, uh, we are... Um, we're continuing to, to navigate through the, the practice of fasting, and I can say without a shadow of a doubt that I am no expert when it comes to fasting. I have practiced fasting several times in my life, and I've seen the fruit of it, but like maybe many of you, I'm still learning what it looks like to embrace that with both courage and faith. And so um, as we journey through these practices, I think something that's really important is none of these things are about earning God's love. None of them are about climbing some mountain to be good enough for him. We cannot earn his love. We can grow in his love, but we cannot earn his love. If you guys were here about a month ago, Aaron Daly was here, and he put it something like this, to grow into the bigness of his love. Was that pretty good? Oh, I'm, I'm hoping he calls me this week and lets me know how good that was because that'll be a good conversation. Um, there are many things we can do to practice the way of Jesus. There are a, a bunch of things. Fasting is one of those ways. And uh, so I'm excited for us to continue to press in through that. And um, when you search the scriptures, you'll be really hard-pressed to find fasting without prayer, kind of partnering with it. And uh, I would suggest that most of the time when people fast in the scriptures, they are either or often wanting to be with the Father, they're wanting to hear from the Father, or they're requesting something from the Father. So again, in the scriptures, it's very hard to find any time where people are fasting where prayer is not partnered with it. And there's kind of three things that are happening. They're either wanting to spend time with the Father they're wanting to hear from the Father or they're requesting something from the Father. And um, something that's so powerful is we see Jesus had moments where he recognized that fasting, while stepping into the will of the Father, met a need within him that both physically and spiritually, um, we as flesh and blood can really struggle to understand. And what I mean by this is one example, in the beginning of Jesus' ministry, He's just been baptized by John the Baptist, and he goes out for 40 days and 40 nights for this fast. And towards the end of this fast, Satan comes to him and begins to tempt him and says, hey, I know you hungry. See those rocks? Turn them into bread. And Jesus' response to him in Matthew 4 is, man must not live on bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And then what's wild is we actually see this tangibly play out in John chapter 4. Jesus and his disciples go the long way around, and uh, 
This ends up being the story of the woman at the well. And Jesus tells his disciples to go on ahead into the, the nearest towns and villages to get food and supplies. And Jesus goes and he sits by this well and this woman comes and he, he's loving on her and he's encouraging her. And if you're familiar with the story, it's this wonderful, impactful story of him transforming this woman's life who was on the fringes of culture and outcast. And his disciples return to him and they go, yo, Jesus, we brought you some food. And his response to them is, I have food to eat that you don't know about. Like, what is he talking about, you know? I know a bunch of y'all are concealed carrying in here. Don't lie. <laughs> is he like, got like a secret stash of food under his robe, under his tunic? That, that's what they think they're thinking, right? Like, where did he get food? Did someone show up and feed Jesus? And no, what he's talking about is that there is a surrender or a submission to the Father where Jesus submits his way, his will, his body, really his, his entire being, and in turn, the Father meets his needs in a way that I think we, we can miss sometimes. There's power in our complete surrender to the will of the Father. We can depend on him as provisional in a way that I, that you maybe as flesh and blood, we can miss, that maybe we're not awakened to yet. And it's vital in our journey as we grow in our relationship with him. He desires to meet our needs and learn to fully, as we fully and completely learn what it looks like to depend on him, to lean on him, to trust him. There's something powerful about it, and fasting teaches us that. Fasting unlocks something within us that begins to reveal our need for a savior that's really, really special, really unique, really cool. And so... We dive back into this five-week fasting series in practice, and uh, just to recap really quick, week one was just an overview. Uh, we just walked through the introduction of what fasting might look like and what practicing the way of Jesus is. In week two, we covered what it looks like to offer ourselves to Jesus, to give ourselves to him completely, our whole bodies, not just this tiny space in our heart, but all of us as one whole being. And then week three, we talked about holiness. What does it look like? to step into fasting and drawing near to the Savior and his holiness as he breaks chains of bondage within our life. And then today, week four, we're gonna explore how fasting can amplify our prayer. How fasting can amplify our prayer. So let's do that. Let's pray really quick. Jesus, thank you. Thank you that you're all about relationship, that you draw us in. And I pray this morning as we explore prayer and fasting that you help us to release anything that doesn't matter. And you'll help us to hold on to the things that do. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. So random fact, I think this is kind of intriguing or interesting. Draft horses have a variable weight, right? They're somewhere between like 1,200 and 2,000 pounds. Maybe you've heard this already. We live in Prescott where like half the people own horses. So you guys might have already heard this. But a 2,000-pound draft horse can pull about 8,000 pounds, which to me I think is really impressive. Um, and they've been able to push that limit with specific draft horses that they really train to be able to do these like world competitions, right? But generally speaking, a 2,000-pound draft horse can pull 2,000 pounds. But what's really unique is when you combine their power and you unify them as one, you bring two draft horses together, you combine their power and you uniform, unify them as one, they can pull 24,000 pounds. 
They don't double, they triple, right? Really impressive. I think that's pretty cool. And while that's maybe a silly example of the power of pairing two things, here's what is true. Fasting in and of itself is really powerful. And prayer by itself also is equally really powerful. But when we combine the two, something special and unique happens that amplifies the power of prayer. And so what is prayer? What does prayer look like? Um, Maybe an oversimplification is that prayer is an umbrella term used throughout the scriptures for a way that we both communicate and commune with God. And you can break prayer down into maybe two basic categories, um, to listen to God and to speak to God. And we need to remember in any relationship, hopefully we all know this, for any relationship to work well, there needs to be both speaking and listening. And hopefully we can start on the inverse of that, first listening and then speaking. Fasting is a powerful practice that amplifies both God's voice to us and our voice to God. And so we can say it's something like this. Fasting is another way to hear God and be heard by God. And so this morning, I wanna explore both of those, what it looks like to both hear God in the process of fasting, and then what does it look like to be heard by God or to step into requesting from him. And so if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Acts chapter 13, and uh, we'll pop it up on the screen here as well for you. But Acts chapter 13, starting in verse one. And so here we read a story about some of the first disciples of Jesus. And it starts like this in verse one. In the church that was at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius, the Cyrenian, Manane, a close friend of Herod, the Tetrarch, and Saul. As they were ministering to the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit came to them and said, set apart for me, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work I have called to them. Then after they had fasted, prayed, and laid hands on them, they sent them off. As I read this, I I remember um, for for almost a whole year, there were about 30 or 40 of people that would meet in my living room on Thursday evenings. And uh, we didn't really have like a time limit. We would just worship and pray. And it was really cool. It was a really beautiful time. And I'm imagining this being something, that kind of being something similar to what these disciples are doing. They're hanging out in this room and they're just worshiping the Lord and they're fasting and the Lord comes to them with a clear word. And it's during this time of submission, of surrender, of, of coming before the Lord with open hearts while they're fasting, while they're giving both their bodies, their minds, their spirits, everything is fully awakened and available for the Lord that his voice comes with really clear direction. And maybe some of you have experienced something like this in your life where you've taken a season where there's a, the conviction of the Holy Spirit, not out of some weird religion thing, but out of just this desire to, to be with the Lord and to hear from him and he comes and he speaks clearly or you've heard testimony of people who have experienced this. And um, I had an incredible example of this actually in my home with my, with my dad, which is interesting because I have a very complex relationship growing up with unique religion dynamics and things like that. But one of the things that, I got to watch was my dad practicing fasting for decades. He would fast twice a week. And um, it was one of those things that he practiced often that never looked like religion. Um, 
he uh, never made it a big deal. He still sat at the dinner table with us as a family. He and my mom still hung out with people they loved. They would go to all of our sports game. There was eight kids, and they would still take us to all of the crazy activities that you can imagine eight children would possibly be involved in. And almost always, through all of these things, no one ever knew that my dad was fasting. We did as kids because we were in the house, and we knew, that we knew how my dad loved to eat breakfast, and we knew how he liked to eat dinner, and, and, and he wasn't eating. And about 13 years ago, he was diagnosed with diabetes, and so he had to make some adjustments to his, his rhythm of fasting and what that looked like. And um, ultimately, that diagnosis of diabetes, we now know, was the early signs of pancreatic cancer. And this week, while preparing, I wanted to call him so bad to talk to him about what fasting, the why of fasting and the power that it played in his life. And he passed away in, in January this year. And so I couldn't call him but I can still share what I have the privilege of observing in his life and in the life of my family. And so I'll never forget, I think it was my freshman year of high school, it might've been my sophomore year of high school, but my dad was a math teacher and a science teacher, chemistry, physics, and all the upper maths um, at this Christian school I attended. And that school was really struggling financially. And um, at that time, um, they had made a decision that they were going to need to cut the teachers' salaries. And at that time, it was, I think they paid the teachers about $27,000 or something like that. Now, this is the late 90s, so that's still, even for the 90s, is a pretty small paycheck. And their decision was that they were going to cut it by one-third, each teacher by one-third, in order to keep the school moving forward. And my mom, she has a math background, she's a mathematician, she like was our bookkeeper. She was masterful with math, and she was absolutely overwhelmed. And um, my dad had this rhythm of fasting twice a week, and when he would fast, he'd come home from work, and he would go, and he would lock himself in the bathroom, because you can imagine with eight kids in a 1,400-square-ish-foot house, how obnoxiously loud it would be in the bathroom. The bathroom was the only quiet place he could go. And he would go in there, and he would lock himself in there, and he would worship, and he would pray. And I'll never forget, during, during one of his days of fasting and praying, he felt the conviction of the Holy Spirit to surrender his now two-thirds pay for two single moms who, who had been docked as well and make their paycheck whole. And then sometime right before or right after this, um, there was a widow that went to our church um, and her family dynamic was really complex. They lived in a really small apartment. It was her, her, her daughter, who was a single mother, and she had three children. And there was a lot going on. It was a really complex dynamic. And, and my mom and dad, their, their car broke down, and it was totaled. It didn't work. There was no way to repair it. And my parents were driving, my mom mostly, several times a week to, to pick them up and to take them to doctor's appointments and to prayer meetings and to pick them up for church and all these things. And again, the same thing happened during a time of prayer and fasting my dad felt that, like the Lord said to give our family minivan to that family. And that dropped us from two cars down to one sweet, awesome, hole-in-the-muffler, loud-as-can-be Ford Escort. Y'all remember those bad boys? We lived about a half a mile away from the school, and everyone would joke they knew when Mr. Huss was on his way because he could, they could hear, literally, actually hear the car fire up because it was so loud. And um, even though my parents struggled financially, they never went into debt. In their 56 years of marriage, not once. 
never owned a credit card, never went into debt for cars, houses, education. Somehow through it all, they trusted the Lord with every, every part of it. And um, one thing that I specifically remember about my dad is he was phenomenal at truly taking to heart whenever he felt the Holy Spirit was asking him to step into generosity. And as I remember it as a kid, it was always during his time of prayer and fasting that he would, he would hear from the Lord and step with courage into it. And what I don't have time today to share, because it would go way too long, is how the Lord poured out blessing and favor over my parents in a really, really unique and incredible way. Um, always, they always, <laughs> he always bridged the gap between what, he, what they gave away and what they needed. He always bridged the gap between what he asked them to give away and what they needed every time. And um, as I look back and I think about this and as I was preparing this week, the, the element that I saw in this was there was a rhythm of discipline that my, my dad displayed where surrender was key to both hearing and listening to the voice of the Father. And so as we explore practicing today, practicing prayer and fasting, we explore what it looks like to hear God we have to learn what it looks like to surrender before him. Surrender is key to both hearing and listening to the voice of the Father. It's not easy for us, but it's key. In our, in our practicing the way of Jesus, whether we're talking about fasting, whether we're talking about generosity, whether we're talking about hospitality, whether we're talking about all the things that we've talked about when it comes to practicing the way of Jesus, surrender is key to both hearing and listening to the voice of the Father. And I would say this, in my opinion, it is far more common for us to hear the voice of God than we'd even like to admit it. Sometimes we, I hear people say like, well, I don't ever hear God, or how do you hear God? And there is this still small voice of the Spirit that prompts us all the time to pick things up or to put things down to go love somebody well, to step into generosity. And oftentimes we convince ourselves that it's our own mind, but really it's the spirit of God moving and working. But that muscle, that spiritual muscle of hearing grows as we learn the courage to not only be hearers, but doers of the word. In James chapter one, verse 22, it says this, be doers of the word and not hearers only. Be doers of the word and not hearers only. The more we hear and then listen or, or do, the clearer I believe his voice becomes. It's like, the, it's like the exercise, right? Like I'm gonna get up at 5.30 in the morning. The more you actually get up at 5.30 in the morning, the easier it becomes to get up at 5.30 in the morning. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Oh, everyone's like, my new year resolution is I'm gonna work out three days a week. And then January 5th comes, maybe two days a week. <laughs> January 6th comes, ah, once a week will do. But when we discipline, when we hold to the integrity of that line, the more we hear the voice of God, that still small voice that prompts us to step with courage into faith, I really believe the easier it becomes, the clearer his voice becomes in our life. And so, Let's take a step back as we're navigating all of this and let's take a look at what's happening again in our, in our bodies 
Um, and remember, we, we want to chip away at the false dichotomy that we are separate beings. We are a physical body only, and then there's some random spirit. We are whole beings. Um, and what we do to our, our bodies also affects our souls. And so last week, um, Landon talked about some of the ways that fasting is good for your physical health. But did you know that there's super duper power in it from a mental health standpoint too? I think it's pretty cool. And so there's some peer-reviewed studies. I'm gonna just read through a couple of them really quick. Um, fasting increases the blood flow to your brain, causing you to be more alert and aware compared to eating, which causes blood to flow to your digestive system. Um, and this is why, you know, if you can think about like, uh, you're so tired after a big meal. Think about the stupors you have at grandma's house after Thanksgiving dinner. You know what I'm talking about? We're all just on the couch afterwards like, ooh. Um, okay. It increases neuroplasticity, which is the ability for your brain to make new neurological connections. It's proven to decrease neurotransmitters that signal anxiety, depression, and increases those that elevate calm and a sense of well-being. It's also been proven to increase what doctors call interoception, which is your ability to accurately notice what's happening inside your body. And I think this one is actually really big because I think today, intended or unintended, we live a bit numb in our culture. We're not very aware of what's happening in our body. We eat foods that make us feel like trash and we're not even aware of it, right? Or mentally and emotionally, we live in a culture where it's rub some dirt on it and toughen up, right? And it's, we are now becoming aware that what we feel, what we experience, what, what, what's happening in our life, it really matters. And um, it's even become a practice among writers and intellectuals for many years due to its effects on a mental prowess because fasting is a way of honing your mind to a point of alertness, focus, and perception. And I just think it's amazing um, when you read through some of those things, how the practice of fasting can unlock so much potential. And that's just fasting by itself from just a medical standpoint without adding any of the, the benefits of what God has actually gifted in us. And Our body, our mind, our spirit are all directly impacted by each other. When we don't take care of one, the others are deeply impacted. The others deeply suffer. And have you noticed um, when something isn't right in your body, like how it, it, it can deeply impact you emotionally. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? Like it's, if we break it down to something simple, like you, you twist your ankle, and so then like six weeks later, your knee hurts. And then like a month later, you're like, dang, my back, you know? And now you need neck massages. Like there's this connection. It's the same thing with our body, with our minds, and with our spirit. And how many of you have experienced that when you feel emotionally beaten, we often begin to struggle with our mindset? Right? We struggle with something physically and impacts us emotionally. And then that emotion bleeds into how we, how we think, how we feel, and how we relate to the people around us. And this is because, once again, our body, our mind, and our spirit are all directly impacted by each other. When we don't take care of one, the others suffer. Fasting is another way to be aware of the whole, to submit all of ourselves to Jesus. And when we fast... Let's be honest, our bodies suffer. Hour by hour as we go without food and we get the stomach pains, it doesn't just impact our tummies. We feel the shift impact our mindset, shifts our mood, but this is where the turn happens. Who or what do we turn to? What do we turn to? 
And to clarify, um, this isn't something that's gonna happen overnight, like any skill or practice. It takes time. Um, it takes time to see fasting as something beautiful, to embrace it as something that's wonderful. But let's be honest, fasting is really hard. It can be really hard to step into. But if you stay with it and you make it a regular practice in your life, your body will adapt. And when you fast, you will start to feel a sense of calm, but also highly alert and attuned. And so what does this look like for us? This tension in our culture of separation, separating the, the physical from the spiritual. And I thought it was really cool in our practice group week one um, that I'm a part of. One, one, of the, one of the people mentioned how cool it is to see science catching up with what God already knew to be good for us. I think that's pretty cool. And just like with many other things that science is catching up on, God intentionally designed prayer, specifically prayer with fasting as one gift given that is incredibly powerful. John Mark Comer puts it this way, hunger is a state of not having what we need or want and yearning for it. And fasting, there's something that happens where it begins to unlock not only the reality of just how much we need Jesus, but hopefully it shifts from just the reality of needing him to desiring him, to hunger for him. Just like when we go out for, without food and we hunger for food and then we desire that amazing cheeseburger that somebody's eating from Park Plaza, right? Um, hopefully fasting, prayer and fasting creates not only a, a recognition of our need for Jesus, but a hunger for him as well. And as we fast and pray, not only is our mind attentive, but hopefully our hearts are in a posture of humility and hunger as we shift from what is good and wise for my own life to make my own life better to what is the will of God for my life. Can you put that up for me, Nikula? What is a good and wise decision to make my life better to what is the will of God for my life. This is listening. Jesus, what do you have for me? What are, you, what are you asking from me? What are you calling me into? What is your will? A shift from I am in control of my life to I am the Lord's servant. May it be done to me according to your word. We surrender. We surrender our way. We surrender our will to his. And when this shift begins to happen, it changes how we live how we work, how we, how we play as the Holy Spirit begins to cultivate these movements deep, deep within our very being. Yeah, that posture of surrender, it shifts things. It begins to change how we live, how we work, how we play as we give space for the spirit of God to move and work and shift the very fabric, the very foundation of our being. It's pretty cool, guys. And again, it's not about climbing some mountain to be good enough, to be holy enough, to be worthy enough. We're getting into it in a minute, but it's about relationship. So with that, fasting is not only about hearing God, but it's also a, to be heard by God. And to clarify, fasting isn't some magical wand that we're gonna wave around to turn God's ears on so that he hears us. 
His ears are already open. He already hears us. He already has ears to hear and a heart that feels for who we are, where we are, and our journey. And when we talk about being heard by God, I think a big question is why is it that as we understand it, so many prayers go unanswered? And I think that's probably the greatest question that believers and unbelievers alike are asking. And maybe some of you this morning feel a bit stuck in your life, like, like you've hit a wall. Like time and time again, you feel like you've come before the Lord in prayer and you feel like your prayers are falling on deaf ears. I know I've had, I've had some really challenging seasons like that. And if that's you this morning, I just wanna give you an invitation in the, in the complexity of all that emotion and how you feel with that. Would you be open to, would you be willing to explore the potential power found in the one-two punch of prayer and fasting? Not out of obligation, not out of manipulation, but just as an invitation to step in where you whole being, physical, mental, emotional, spiritual, become dependent on God. I wanna read a quick story from May 1940. The Nazis have just overrun France. 338,000 Allied troops are in retreat, trapped on the beach at Dunkirk. And there is no hope of rescue in time. The British Prime Minister Winston Churchill is gearing up for the annihilation of the British Army, the last defense between England and the Third Reich's Blitzkrieg advance. But then, on Friday, May 24th, Hitler issues a baffling order to his generals to stop their assault. The German tank division stops just 10 miles from Dunkirk. Then, the city is enveloped in a strange mist that's a mix of both fog and smoke, and the Germans can't bomb the soldiers who are like sitting ducks just sitting on the beach. Even stranger, the English Channel, notorious for high winds and choppy waters, is perfectly calm for three days Historians say that it was like bath water, which makes it possible for hundreds of small civilian boats to cross the channel and rescue the troops under the fog. And this story was made famous yet again by the director Christopher Nolan in the 2017 film Dunkirk. But what is not ever shown or spoken of in the film is that also on Friday, May 24th, that morning, King George, upon hearing the news of the impending invasion, called the nation to a day of fasting and prayer. Tens of thousands of people literally physically lined up to get into Westminster Abbey in London to plead for God's mercy. And just hours after King George called for prayer, Hitler ordered his tank division to stop. And over the next three days, all 338,000 troops were saved by boat across the English Channel. It's pretty cool. That generation didn't call it Dunkirk. They called it the miracle of Dunkirk, the outcome of which was arguably the most important moment that saved the whole of England in World War II. Now here's the question. Was it a miracle or just coincidence? Was it the hand of God and his response to the people's submission and surrender through prayer and fasting? Or did the Germans just have really bad strategic planning. But I would pose this, what if, it was, what if it was a miracle? What if it really was the God of the universe hearing the cry of his people 
coming before him in submission and surrender with prayer and fasting? What if God truly heard the unified cries of the whole of England? What if it really is possible that when we fast and pray, it has the potential to unlock the power of God just, just like it did in Dunkirk, but in our lives, in our neighborhoods, in our city? Prayer and fasting has the power to recalibrate our hearts and unify us, body, mind, and spirit, but it also has the power to unify us as the body of Christ. When we come together and we set a focus of God, we're gonna come before you as a unified body in prayer and fasting for this or that, whether it be for a specific person in our body, for a specific person in our city, or whether it be for the nation as a whole, whatever it may be, there's power when we come together as the people of God and are unified. And it is a way where we get to surrender it all before him, every part, every piece, more than a religious exercise filled with self-edification, and self-righteousness. It is a humble act of recognizing that all of us deeply, desperately need God. And it comes back to what Jesus invites us to do in Matthew chapter six. He says, seek first the kingdom and, and, yeah. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. In the next chapter, Matthew 7, verses 7 and 8, it says, keep asking, keep searching, keep knocking, right? Keep asking and it'll be given to you. Keep searching and you will find. Keep knocking and the door will be open. And it, this comes on the heels of verse 6 where it says, first seek the kingdom, right? So when we seek his will, we seek his way. And then we come asking, searching, knocking. He loves to respond, he loves to respond, and there's something about the asking. There's something about the searching. There's something about the knocking of the people of God that he seems to just really love and find value in. And notice it doesn't say ask once, search once, do one quiet knock. It says, keep asking, keep searching, keep knocking, pursue. And while there's a lot of mystery here, the scripture tells us that when we, when we add fasting to prayer, we see it throughout scripture, when the people of God added fasting and partnered it with prayer, that there was a higher correlation between their requests and the release of God's power. But why we have really, I don't, I don't think any of us truly clearly know the why. And different streams, different denominations, different backgrounds of the church have different theories as to why this is the case. Um, I have my own opinions too, but I want to read a quote from John Mark Comer that I thought summed it up really well. It says this, God is relational. His ultimate aim is to draw us into the inner life of the Trinity. Prayer with fasting takes us deeper into union with God. It helps burn away whatever is creating relational distance between us and God. I love that. It's all about relationship. Every part, every piece of it is about relationship. And so what do we, what do, we do with this? How do we weave prayer into the practice of fasting? 
What might that look like for you? And so I wanna read Matthew chapter six and we're gonna kind of close with this. Um, Matthew chapter six, nine through 13. Therefore, you should pray like this. Does that sound familiar to anyone yet? Our Father in heaven, your name be honored as holy. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not bring us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever, amen. For some of us, we've heard that so many times we could quote that in our sleep. For the others of us, we've heard it so many times we've become really numb and callous to the potency, the power, and the purpose of that. And the Lord's Prayer, which maybe I would say better be titled the, the Lord's Roadmap to Prayer, if you really dive into it, is all about relationship. Understanding who we are and who he is. And, and why I say roadmap is because Jesus said, pray like this. He didn't say, pray these words. Doesn't mean that we can't pray those words. It's not, but he says to pray like this. He has created a, a framework for how we come before the Father. And so I just wanna, I'm gonna close our time. I'm just gonna break this down verse by verse really quickly, okay? Verse nine, our Father in heaven, your name be honored as holy. The first part, verse nine, Father. Aaron Nequist writes this, where is God? He is here, always, everywhere. And as doing some study, you, you, you see that some, some scholars say that the, uh, maybe a better translation of our Father in heaven would actually be our Father in the heavens, or in other words, our Father who fills every molecule from the farthest solar system to the inside of my lungs. Our Father who already floods this place and fills the atmosphere. John Orberg put it this way, our Father who is closer than the air we breathe. So good. This is where the, the prayer begins, recognizing that he is our Father and we are his sons and daughters. And so already when we come into his presence, he already calls us his children. And then it transitions to your name be honored as holy. Holiness is, is to be set apart or to be separate from sin. And there is no sin found in God. He is pure. And so when we come before our Father, we are not only becoming, becoming before our Abba Father, our Daddy, our Heavenly Daddy, but we are also becoming before a perfect Father who is spotless, who is blameless, and all his ways are perfect. And then it goes into verse 10. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is about kingship. He is king. Now that we have stepped into his presence, we get to be honest about the places and spaces where we cling to control rather than surrendering to him. And if he is king, if we're honest about it, if he really is king in our life, then we are inviting his kingdom to come and his will be done. And that means that we must surrender, surrender our will for his. And this is our opportunity to just be honest about that. Jesus, I surrender before you these things. My wants, my ways, my wills. May it be your will and not mine. Verse 11, give us today our daily bread. He is our provider. 
Matthew 7, 11 says this, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father in heaven give good things to you who ask him? We already read a few verses before this, right? In Matthew 7, ask, seek, and knock, right? Ask, seek, knock. And now the next thing he says is, how much he actually loves to give us good things. And if you jump over to Luke 11, verse 13, it actually says it this way, how our heavenly father loves to give us the Holy Spirit to those who ask. How much more will our heavenly father give us the Holy Spirit? This is all about God as a really good provider. We see it all throughout the scriptures. He provides direction, wisdom, resource, relationship. And when we submit to his kingdom and submit to his way, in turn, he meets all of our needs. He provides for us. Verse 12, forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. We all have debt with God, but the Bible is clear that even though the debt has been paid, the unconfessed unconfessed sin that we allow to lurk in our lives can hinder us from intimacy with him. And everything about our journey as Christians is, comes back to relationship. Relationship with God, relationship with those around us. The greatest commandment, love God and? What is it? Love God and? Love your neighbor, love people. Being honest about our sin and confessing when we have sinned is a beautiful way for intimacy to be built. And then 13a, do not bring us into temptation. He's our guide. John 14, six, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. He already knows the best path for every circumstance. He's given us the Holy Spirit to lead us, to guide us. He holds the keys of heaven so that when we seek him, we seek his kingdom in full submission. He will lead us through every circumstance. And then we are so familiar with Psalm 34, the Lord is my. He leads me along the right paths for his name's sake. Then 13, the bottom portion, but deliver us from the evil one. This reminds me of the story of Dunkirk, a beautiful story I think that embodies this verse. I think during World War II, the world saw what man could become under Satan's grip. And as we seek him, just like they did the miracle of Dunkirk, it's also okay for us to be honest about the evil that's lurking in and around our lives. Are there areas of struggle that you have? What does it look like to be honest about it? Has the evil one planted seeds of doubt, fear? Are you battling addiction, shame? Be honest about it. Come before our deliverer. Be open. Open the gates of your heart and give him permission. And then it finishes strong and it says this. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. In all of this stuff that we wrestle through, it's all his. It all comes back to his authority. This earthly kingdom, the power in heaven and on earth, and the only one who gets the glory is Jesus. And so, as we journey through what it looks like to practice prayer and fasting, I hope today, maybe there's a glimmer of hope or understanding that, there, that prayer has the power or that fasting has the power to amplify our prayers. It opens our hearts, it opens our minds, our bodies, and our spirits to awareness of our need for a savior that we cannot do without. And so um, I wanna encourage you this week, during your time of prayer while fasting, anytime your tummy starts to growl or you start to get the, 
the stomach pains, to just pause and take a moment and just say, God, speak to me, I'm listening. Or maybe if uh, the Lord's Prayer would be a helpful roadmap for you, take one, maybe two of those waypoints. Or if you feel really ambitious, you can do the whole thing and, and pray through one of those things. But whatever that prayer time looks like during your fasting this week, I wanna encourage you to spend time first just listening to the Father. Give him space to speak. And I know that feels uncomfortable because our thoughts flood our minds. But come before him and listen first. And then with humility and gratitude, let your requests be known. Seek, ask, knock. Let's pray. Jesus, Practicing your way can bring up a lot of questions, a lot of confusion, a lot of doubt, God, but we know that you love to meet your people. And we know that practicing the way is not about climbing some mountain to be good enough for you, to be loved more by you. It is truly to be in your presence, to experience you more. And so we thank you for how you love us, how you meet us. May we be able to submit and surrender these things to you, Jesus, with courage. In Jesus' name, amen. I wanna just close with this quote by John Mark Comer. It says this, remember, the end goal of prayer is not ultimately to get what you want from God, but to get God himself. It's union, it's to enter the inner life of the Trinity, to hear the Father and Son and Spirit speak their love over you and to speak your love in return. Thanks so much for tuning in to our teaching of the week. We are so grateful to partner with you in sharing the love of Jesus in a world that really deeply longs for it. And whether you're new here, seeking more information, looking for a church community, or considering financial partnership, go ahead and visit restorationaz.org for more details. Okay, let's continue making a difference together. So how do we do that? By remembering Jesus is the only one who is trustworthy always, no matter the moment. So press on as we continue to practice the way of Jesus.